Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. My name is Ingrid DeSorms, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Rayelit Smith. I'm your other host. And we're here today to kind of introduce you to the experience of what it means to be a medical and clinical speech-language pathologist that works across the lifetime. I have worked as a speech-language pathologist for the last 12 years, graduating in 2008 and starting my career in 2009, February. I decided to get into this career after I got rejected from audiology school, (laughs) which was quite the experience. I had taken eight months off and said, hey, you know what? Let me reapply for graduate school, and I did get into the University of Central Florida where I got my master's degree in speech-language pathology. Woohoo! Yeah, baby. All right. Then I went out into the world, and I experienced a lot of positive things with this career. I took advantage of all the positives that I possibly could. I've done roles like director of rehab, clinical liaison, and just staff clinician. I've traveled to different states, different places, and I've had a really great time. However, there's been a lot of drawbacks to this career, and there's been a lot of things that were not what I first originally was educated on when I was going through school or even afterwards. And so it led me down a path where I felt like it was time for me to come up with something that could educate the next generation because I definitely felt a lot of miseducation. And so I spent some time talking with my girl, Ayala, during some life transitioning experiences, and we decided to create this show. So Ayala, tell me the reason for you to be on our show today. Well, um, just like Ingrid, I graduated from UCF. I was a little bit behind her because I got my uh, reading endorsement as well at the same time through a program that was available. Um, And I really feel like I've struggled since we got out of school. I feel like I've never found the, the perfect fit of a job that had it all, that had the benefits, that had the pay, that had, you know, the good work location, that had the good bosses, that had the good staff. You know, there always seemed to be something something that was off or something that wasn't, you know, exactly what I anticipated, exactly what I expected. Um, And, you know, we both kind of are in a spot right now where we're in limbo with our careers and with our personal lives and, and how that all meshes together. And we talked it through and, you know, this kind of came up as an idea because we know that we're not alone here. We know that there's others like us out there who are feeling the same way and, We're hoping that maybe we can get through this together. Well, for absolute clarity, Ayelet and I are both goofballs and ridiculous. (laughs) This whole experience is going to be just an experiment of two people sitting around talking about the gravity of our choice. And this is really like you guys just getting to listen in on one of our phone calls because this is what we do when we talk to each other. And it's a full on like, why, why, why? But at the same time, I appreciate it's still why, why, why? (laughs) Why? Oh, why? It's been the hardest thing, you know, kind of developing an expertise. 12 12 years is a lot of time to be part of a, a profession that has really put you in a position where you're still in certain environments 
an amateur. You have to work under other people's opinions, which includes uh, physicians. And that's really something where I'm like, they don't know what I do. So it's definitely something where you never become the expert in the room. And that's a lot of frustration as a person who was educated that I was this professional, you know? Yeah, it's really hard because we really don't get treated like professionals in a lot of different settings. Um, We're constantly under scrutiny. And I understand that, you know, there's a lot of positions that are constantly under scrutiny. And they told us when we were in grad school that we were always going to be watched. But I never thought that we'd be so, you know, disrespected by almost everyone in the room. You know, I mean, we can get disrespected by doctors, by nurses, by our other colleagues in the field, whether they be PT, OT, behavior specialists, the teachers, the parents. It's it's a lot coming in from all angles. And not to say that they there aren't wonderful doctors, nurses, teachers, you know, PTs, OTs out there. We've worked with them. There are some that are just amazing. Um, but there's always some that there's always that thorn in your side. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's not a single person, I think, that's experienced being a speech language pathologist in the majority sense, not necessarily individual, but in the majority sense that hasn't experienced something challenging in this career. So I took it upon myself to reach out to somebody that I'm familiar with. And, um, you know, we decided to go through an interview and I just thought it was going to be a really exciting opportunity for me to get to know another point view in the sense of where we were miseducated. So let me talk a little bit about her. And like um, you guys out there, Ayelet, it's her first time being exposed to this story as well. So we're going to get some natural, juicy deliciousness over this cup of tea I'm about to pour all of y'all. Okay. So let us begin. All right. I can't wait. (laughs) The miseducation of a 13-year speech-language pathologist. Let's just call her Shannon for the evening, shall we? All right. Shannon, tell us your story. (laughs) So for me, as Ingrid, the interviewer, I had the pleasure of interviewing a fellow SLP who graduated in 2008 from the University of Central Florida as well. Her willingness to share her thoughts about the profession candidly really warmed my spirit because it showed just how much we were willing to put up with this profession. (laughs) And so much. A lot. So much. Okay. (laughs) So let's get real. Okay. So I'm sitting here asking her questions. I'm like, okay, girl, tell me what's up, Shannon. What happened? What's your career been like? And she goes and tells me her miseducation without even realizing she's telling me her miseducation. She's thinking her first job with her CF supervisor is going to give her all this wonderful mentorship, guidance, support, love. She's going in there just like rock star ready. And although she gets some really great guidance, some really great teaching, she also experiences a really aggressive experience of what it means to be kind of put in a position of miseducation. Like you just didn't expect it. So her first moment came from her first job and her boss gave her a taste of the problematic nature of being a profit driven environment, which is healthcare. Under this company, she went through different types of pressure and manipulative talk She had an experience that no new grad would ever welcome. 
She was promised all these things. She signed on. She was super excited. Within four months, she was told without any other option that she needed to sign five different contracts regarding her salary, her benefits, her reward. I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. They had what? Within four months? Wow. Then she told me she had to defend herself because of business malpractice with billing. So basically, they inaccurately billed something, came back with it from the insurance company who said, uh-uh, no, 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 we need our money back. And her boss had the audacity to say, we're going to take this out of your check. <gasps> oh my gosh, as a new grad. <sighs> the worst part about that um, was just her need to have to like defend herself a little bit in an environment that she's actually supposed to be cared for because she's the employee, but that's not what happened for her. And then the la- you know, one of the most challenging things as well was the fact that she just was being promised things like mileage reimbursement and she never got the opportunity to ever receive it. Like she never, not once. And how comfortable are you as a new grad to go up to your boss and say, Hey, by the way, you're not actually paying me what you promised. And I, I've totally been there, especially with the mileage. I had a job right out of my CFY where um, any mileage that I was driving over the mileage that it took to get to the location that I was working at, I should have been reimbursed for. And they sent me during my probationary period to another um, another facility for, quote, more intimate mentoring, unquote. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, um, I did not get paid for a single mile over what, you know, that I was driving extra and I was driving over an hour to this new building. Um, it was half an hour more than I was driving to the building that I was at. And what you said earlier, uh, about manipulative speech really, really hits home for me because I have been in so many situations where, you know, you're being trained by someone and they're giving you the explanation for why they're doing the things that they do and why they want you to build this way and why they want you to do certain things. And it all sounds so reasonable. And then like, after you get a little bit of experience under your belt, you think back and you're like, wow, that was messed up. Like, I cannot believe that I fell for that BS. (laughs) Absolutely. Without question, that is something that every veteran SLP knows, which is why I want to re-educate our, you know, up and coming SLPs. And I want to educate even other SLPs that didn't know that it could be any different. There's a lot of things out there that should not occur. There's a lot of shady business going on out there because like you said before, we are profit driven and a lot of these facilities that is the number one and they just want you to bill 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 for all these things that just are not really ethical well we need to be careful there because i have worked in really conducive environments that are not built that are not centered in billing but the places that are are very very toxic It doesn't allow for our profession to do a good job. So when I was talking to Shannon and I was kind of getting an idea as to like, well, how did you find a solution? So you've been miseducated in this opportunity. You've gone out into the world during your first job and you're just like, I'm definitely going to crush it. And then you find out, oh my gosh, my boss is trying to take advantage of me. 
What's your solution in that process? And so for her, she decided it was time to transition to contracting work. So 13-week contract assignments, you have a limited relationship with facilities, you get to just go in, do your job and leave to whatever standard they, they have for that place. Now, this was really something that allowed her to experience something huge because the variation of opportunities happened every couple of months. So that was really exciting. Any input there, Ayala? Yeah, well, I like that because I, you know, I did that for a while too, that, you know, doing, picking up contract jobs after having two really awful, you know, placements that I just really wasn't happy in. I did contract work for quite a long time and, and it was nice because you do, you get to, you know, you do your 10 week, 13 week contract and then you're in and out. And, you know, one of our, uh, one of our professors in grad school, I don't know if you remember this Ingrid, but she used to tell us, you know, you can do anything for a year, you know, you can do anything for a couple of months. So you can put up with it if there's a light at the end of the tunnel there. But man, if you got to be stuck in that job, for year after year after year. I know there's a lot of those places I would not want to revisit. (laughs) I did travel work for six years, you know, per diem, travel work. I did it for six full years. So I know the freedom that it can offer you. So there is that solution to kind of break you away. But you do need to have a scenario where you're willing to either drive extensively, which, um, Shannon was driving like two hours to get to her first travel assignment. It was a beautiful facility. Her boss was a, a PhD physical therapist. She had a lot of support. She did wonderful therapy, was very patient-centered. She was really excited. But she also had another experience during her time as traveling. And that was in a scenario where there was a CODA that was overseeing her, telling her what she needed to do, an assistant in the occupational therapy world. So she had to deal with that type of experience of someone telling her what to do that didn't have the same educational level. I've been there too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But what really, you know, was something that she had to experience, you know, when I was going back and forth with her digging, Shannon revealed to me that she encountered an instance where they were kind of threatening her or, you know, threatening her with firing her or taking her off because they were saying that she needed to sign evaluations that she had not been there for and that she wasn't in the facility for. And so she felt very comfortable in standing in the sun and saying, it's fine. You can terminate me. No big deal. I'm not signing these things because they threaten my license. And because she's always been very clear that she didn't want to put anything at risk when it came to her license, she stood very comfortably in that. She called her company when she was done for that day. And within 24 hours, she was already assigned to a new facility and back at work. She didn't miss a beat. And that's really great. And I know that a lot of SLPs out there really don't have, you know, the ability to do that in their situations. We know that some of you out there, you know, this is your full-time job. This is the job that you may have had for so many years. There may be people who are depending on you, people who are depending on your health benefits, maybe. Um, So you're right. It's not always an option to just pick up and leave as much as we want to think that everyone can do that. I've been there just like she was. I had a school contract and I just, it was only for a month. I was just filling in until they got a new person hired. 
And I just, something felt wrong. I didn't like what they were asking me to do. They kept asking me to just get all these kids on a schedule, even if I knew that it wasn't feasible, even if it meant that I was not going to get a lunch or a planning period or any time to do anything at all. They were like, just put them on a schedule, just put them on a schedule. And I said, there's not enough time. And I actually just, I, I stopped, I called in sick for my last four days. I only worked two days a week. So I called in sick for my last two weeks. It was four days of work. And I was like, I'm just not going back here. I don't feel comfortable. And, you know, a couple of months later, I picked up the paper and read that that school principal had gotten in trouble and gotten fined because she was making up classes that didn't exist to put the kids in to keep their um, the class numbers under what, you know, they needed to be, but really those classes were, you know, double packed. Um, and they were just making up classes to put them in. And that's wow. kind of the situation that I felt like I was in. And, uh, you know, I just didn't go back there. <laughs> wow. 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 I, I find all of that to just be like, you really need to assess people more than you need to assess job roles because there are so many job roles that you think you're protected in and trusted in and there's good people in it. But when you get in the reality of the situation, you realize there are really dark and and sinister individuals in all kinds of roles, even in spaces you didn't expect. So um, it's really disappointing because you really you want people to be humane and appropriate and 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 awesome, and you find that that's not really the case. So, in a in a humanitarian type of job like this one, we're really hoping to find more humans than we are trying to find people that don't do great work for patients, you know, or students. It's just, it just it's frustrating. It, it really is. And I think that, you know, we are in a role where we are caretakers. We are in a field where we are mostly women. And, you know, that's, we're like prime for being taken advantage of because we're helpers. And, you know, so people just think like, oh, well, we would, you know, you want to help people. So you should do the job for free. Right. Well, as I continue to talk to Shannon, I asked her, do you feel that you were educated well for the career you have? Girl, the pause, the breath. <laughs> it was like a, oh, wow. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> you would have thought I just asked her about the quadratic formula, Lord. Lord, 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 the quadratic formula. And she was just like, that's a great question. Oh, well, of course it's a great question because it gets to the heart of everything. Do you feel you were well-educated? So we laughed because the, 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 the loaded aspect of that question is so significant. So we laughed and laughed and laughed. And then she came around and she said, you know, I feel that when it comes to the subject matter, we know enough to be the most informed in the room if there are no other SLPs there. But that doesn't mean we have enough not to experience imposter syndrome. Oh. <laughs> and I loved, I loved her saying that. I felt like that was such an accurate, you know, honest, sincere, vulnerable space of saying, they gave me the book smarts, but not enough to not feel like I had enough, you know, like I, I just was doing what I was supposed to do. And that was really telling for me. 
Yeah, I have a terrible, terrible case of imposter syndrome. And I know we've talked about this before, me and you. Um, but I always like find myself at, like as soon as somebody comes up against me, I start to question myself and I start to doubt myself. And, you know, it's like, I know this. I know that I'm right in this situation. And then it just all crumbles. And I just feel, you know, like an imposter, like I don't know what I'm doing. And that's not the case. We were given the book smarts. We were, you know, taught the the field. We were taught what we need to know, but we weren't taught how to navigate these like treacherous waters that we're in sometimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that isn't always necessary to teach, but it's helpful to teach. And we want to be more helpful in our education at this point. And we want people to know more about how to deal with these things because we're drowning silently and we shouldn't, we should be able to reach out and get more. And, and I feel like there's a lot of us out there that when we come across these ethical dilemmas, even though we took classes on like ethics and like on these, you know, these issues, like some of us still don't know what to do when we come across that. Who do we talk to? Do we talk to our supervisor? Who's the one that's the problem? Do we talk to the person above them and then risk, you know, being retaliated against? I didn't even know, you know, until a colleague of mine came to me with an issue from another place that she worked. I had no idea, like, who you even contact for something like that, you know, and and I had to find out that she needed to call the office of the inspector general to, you know, figure out what to do. Absolutely. It's 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 really you can escalate things quickly, but I um, I've always been one to kind of deal with things head on. Um, but as I was continuing to kind of divulge or dig in or get into the experience with Shannon, I stumbled across her second miseducated moment. And she was talking about, because she had transitioned to this new setting, she was now responsible for diet levels for the geriatric population. So her first job, pediatrics, home health, private clinic. Now she's transitioning into a space where it's diet levels in the geriatric. And the gravity of aspiration pneumonia with the potential for death was something she had not anticipated experiencing and something that she didn't know um, would really impact her to such a significance that she couldn't sleep at night. Um, it was something that I found really, really interesting. She felt so much passion for her kiddos which are our patients, even when they're geriatric, she knows that she didn't have the skill set and she was just guessing her way through. Her solution through that process, though, was amazing. She had a wonderful resource, a fees SLP that kept coming in doing assessments for her kiddos and or her, her adults, the geriatrics, and they were able to talk and engage and, and, and get themselves into a place where her education was advancing. It was so 
beautiful to be supported by somebody that was just your, your, you know, your, your co-person, your co-worker, or just someone who comes in that's like, I'm on your team. I know what you have and I'm here to support you. She really enjoyed that. And that was her solution for her problem of being as not educated enough with dysphagia. And I think that's a really, um, that's a really great point that I think that a lot of us don't realize leaving school. You know, when we go work in peds, there's a lot of us. Most of the time when we're in a pediatric setting, there's a lot of SLPs there nearby, people that you can talk to, people that you can, you know, share ideas with, people that can help you, mentor you, things like that. And then you go into the adult setting and a lot of times you're the only one. Mm -hmm. And there's no you know, there's no one to help you. There's no one to support you. And especially, you know, as a new grad or somebody coming from the peds world and going into an adult or geriatric population, you just don't have anyone's support there. You don't have anyone to back you up in a rough situation. You don't have anyone to go to for advice or guidance. Uh, sometimes you haven't, there. you're the only one in the building and nobody else has been there for months. Right. Um, right. 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 And that's really hard. I definitely know that feeling because majority of my travels were in environments where I was the only one. It's only been in the last three, three-ish years, three to four years that I've had the opportunity to work with other SLPs. It's been a wonderful wonderful experience. And I can see where if I was daunted by knowledge, I would feel so loved and supported by SLPs. It happens that I'm one of the more seasoned SLPs with uh, these experiences when I'm dealing with other speech pathologists, but man, are they brilliant, interesting, dynamic in all of the environments I'm in. So I've been very, very lucky. Yeah. And it is really nice to have, you know, somebody else in the room that understands where you're coming from and understands, you know, and has the knowledge that you do. Uh, because it's hard. It's really hard to be in a situation where you're in a facility and you're the only you're the only one that does what you do. And you have to justify everything that you're doing to people who don't understand. And your boss is usually not an SLP. And I mean, it makes it a lot more difficult. And you don't know if they care. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> that's, that's what gets me going. Because <laughs> I don't know what an OT does. I don't know what a PT does. But I was a director of rehab. I cared. I was interested. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to know what can I do to make your job easier. But in an experience, especially for me as a speech language pathologist, that is like, I am the only one with this level of expertise, with this level of direction as the only one in the room, in the space, y'all need to understand. Y'all <laughs> say this moment to bow down to the knowledge that I'm about to lay on you this evening. Like that's what I'm expecting and then you get the statement from whomever, I don't care what the speech language pathologist thinks. Uh, oh, from the doctor. <laughs> mm, let us, let's roll that back, girl. We don't need to be talking. We don't need to be talking about who says these things. <laughs> I, 
I just mumbled it under my breath. I don't know what you mean. We just know those moments occur. You know, they just occur a little bit, a little bit. Sometimes, you know, you. I, I mean, you know, and we've said before, we, I have worked with lovely doctors. I've worked with lovely nurses. I've worked with wonderful, amazing OTs and PTs. I've worked with fantastic teachers, but. But when, but when you don't though, but when you don't though, it's real bad. And it's a real. Oh my gosh. It is so bad. Absolutely. So bad when it's not. Absolutely. So it, we kind of exist in this world, of course, obviously, um, where you do have to kind of deal with political climate, you know, climates and, and challenging spaces. And we, we completely know that. I mean, it just, it's one of those things where we find ourselves saying, even though we're certified clinically competent, if you, you were to drop me in a room and something that I've never understood or never experienced, like a NICU where speech language pathologists are working every single day, I am not a clinically competent person for that room. No, and we really need to be a jack of all trades. And sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's too much. Well, but I, but I say, but if you're not, if you are that person that doesn't know a lot, um, go out there, get to know it so that you are able to be the person that can be consulted and respected. And that's the thing that I find the most important. It's not to settle into some simple routine, really push to be the most educated person in the room, even if it's something that you've walked into not being absolutely competent in. Unfortunately, there are environments like that, but you can become that. And Shannon, in her career, she became that. She moved through these new spaces, she talked, she reached out. These are the solutions that she found for herself because the educational system just didn't offer it to her despite her exorbitant level of school debt. But we'll come to that another time. Okay. So now we're on to the miseducation number three, which I find to be the most significant. The miseducation of Shannon for one of her assignments was being overseen by a person with less education. And I think that was the one thing that none of us had ever considered would be the case. Yeah. That you would be told what to do by someone who had an education that did not merit your education. And it was business profit centered in the delivery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How we adjust ourselves, how we move through, how we experience somebody with a lesser education telling us how many minutes we need to apply or uh. how many, <laughs> how many, you know, different dynamics we should do or who, what we cannot order for our patients, what tests are restricted, what things we are limited in, even though it's considered best practice, evidence-based, coming from someone with an educational level, that is not a master's degree, okay? So mm -hmm. with that in mind, that was a miseducation that just, skirt, skirt, like, hemmed her up. You know, she was not pleased by this moment of reality. 
that comes when navigating this arena, that manager with the lower educational standing has a lower salary rate because of that. But even with that, they still make more as a manager than a master's degree speech language pathologist. Yeah. And then it's, you know, just this situation of contention where you're trying to do what you think is best for the patient and you have to deal with this bureaucratic BS telling you, you know, when you can discharge a patient, when you can see a patient, how many minutes you need to get with them, how, oh, I don't even get me started on rug levels. No, I know no, it's no. been a long no, time no, since no. I've worked rug. in skilled nursing. Rug, but, le- rug levels are no longer a thing. Pathologists are not dealing with that. The world is different now. Get with the times, Ayala. Get with the times. Get I'm sorry. Them. I ran away from skilled nursing and never looked back. Listen, that is a wonderful, lucrative space if you want to be driven like a horse. <laughs> If you want to be 98% productive and not have the chance to even put your purse down in your office before you start going to see your patients, that is a great space to be in. Sweetheart, I calculated it. You have 430 minutes that you need to be in front of patients or, or 450 and you get to hang out for the 30 to 50 minutes that your facility allots you. Like that's it. You get to pee, do consult, <laughs> documentation have lunch. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. The idea of of how they structure that environment. But anyway, I do have the last points. Okay. From our conversation. So as we were kind of going through and wrapping up, I asked Shannon, what was her nugget for the next generation? What educational piece do you want to offer to the next generation? What, do you think is the best thing for them to know? And she gave two answers, which I thought was really beautiful. First answer was own your expertise. Be comfortable in your stance of saying, this is what the patient needs. This is what I'm doing for the patient. I'm not going to modulate at all. She's very clear that being rigid and concise and direct and honest is what's going to move this situation forward because too much of us, too many of us, excuse me, we rely on um, this aspect of we, it's not going to change, but it's not the system that's going to change. It is our decisions that change it. I, lo- I love that. I do. Own your expertise. Like we need to shout that from the rooftops. Own your expertise. <laughs> <laughs> Own it. <laughs> it literally is this moment where you're sitting here and saying, I will not conform. I'm not going to continue to be quiet in this thing that I know is wrong. This in this thing that I know is not the best for my patient. And I'm just not going to compromise that anymore because I'm trying to secure myself a paycheck. I should never be that dis- that desperate. If I am that desperate, there's something wrong with my life. And, it's, and there's going to be something wrong with my care. Because I'm going to do whatever I can for the bottom line instead of for my patient. And that 
honesty, that sincerity of the situation is what drives this profession into the ground a lot of the time because we genuinely sometimes need that capital more than we care about that patient. But for her and for her recommendation to the next generation, own your expertise. Make it the most important thing in the room because the patient outcomes that happen from it are phenomenal and no business is going to shy away from you doing an ethical and appropriate thing. And if they do, then it's not an appropriate business. And that's kind of her mindset about the whole thing. The, yeah. the second component that she said, which I thought was really beautiful, and it had to do with me kind of poking at her for what is it that she's doing with this career to make it her dream. Her desire was moving into digital content and creating items and things to sell online. I like that. Resources for SLPs. She happens to be multilingual. So she speaks, you know, she speaks more than one language. And I think that that is a contribution space that is really highly necessary in the speech language pathology world in the United States, because we have so many different populations rolling around. I still think you should do something in Yiddish. I yell it. I really do. <laughs> I don't I don't speak Yiddish Ingrid in Hebrew, but oh my Hebrew is like at a basic level. You can do Hebrew too. You can I'm I'm in the Bix, not the Kelp. <laughs> uh, well you can do the Hebrew. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> let's 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 talk about it. I read at like a third grade level <laughs> in Hebrew. That doesn't even matter. As long as you have the capacity. That's just all I'm saying. Well, this is, this is what Shannon kind of came up with. And I thought that that was awesome. I think the fact that, you know, especially veteran SLPs are moving into spaces that are trying to um, branch out from this environment that doesn't reward is frustrating. I mean, she's been a speech language pathologist with her level of expertise 13 years. And when she returned to the state, she was, you know, quoted $45,000 a year. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, the, the salaries down here are just <sighs> some leave a lot to be desired. Um, I actually interviewed once at a hospital system in, you know, the outside areas of Orlando, like outside of Orlando. Um, and they wanted to pay me $28 an hour to be, um, to help them start a fees program within the hospital to supervise CFY, um, and to, to be a lead SLP. And, uh, you know, we went back and we negotiated back and forth and they came back with like, okay, well we can get you up to like 2840 an hour. Um, yeah, uh, I know that a lot, uh, you know, a lot of other people are in some different states where there is the opportunity to make a lot more money, but Florida is not one of them or, you know, central Florida for me is not, uh, not one of those options, but I can't uproot my family. So we're here. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people in their career here kind of make decisions based on that. Um, but I feel as though with this modern age and with this progression, when I asked her what she's doing to 
infuse love in the career that she's chosen and her idea of contributing to the digital market so that other SLPs have an easier time with getting resources that are multi, uh, multicultural, uh, diverse, inclusive, all those things. This idea, it, it was just really like, that makes so much sense and is so on time. Yep. Get that passive income. And I say passive income, you know, with quotes around it, because it really is dynamic income when you're making that digital material. Like, yes, you might sell something today that you put up two years ago, but you are constantly, you know, having to create new product and put new things out there. It's definitely work in the beginning because you have to generate the beginning. But once you've generated the beginning, then it becomes something that just kind of manages itself. And we're all trying to find ways to have freedom within the space that we really love because the structured environment of being an employee doesn't always offer that. However, this podcast, this conversation, and this experience is supposed to offer us the strength and the capacity to make being an employee okay and have strength and have capacity to move and shift a system as an employee because you're not alone. You're not in this alone. You're not a person who does not have support. You have an entire community. You have an entire voice. You have an entire capacity to change what is incurring for the SLP that's an employee. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we're here. And we don't necessarily know how this podcast is going to grow and change and evolve. But, you know, we just want to make this something that we're talking about in our community and that we're talking about openly. And, you know, there was a lot of backlash last year when, there was that blog post from Asha about managing stress. And one of the suggestions was that we cry in our cars. You know, we're just hoping that maybe we don't cry in our cars alone. <laughs> you know, maybe we can be there with you. Maybe we can rant and rave and laugh and cry and come up with some solutions together. Okay. That sounds like what I feel inclined to do because I think it's important and I think I yell it feels the same way. Yep. And we have to own our expertise. Thanks, Shannon. It's going to be my new tagline. <laughs> I can absolutely see you walking around going, own that expertise, girl. Own it. Own your expertise. Hello. I would love being an IP meeting. Like, own your expertise. <laughs> That might be a little too intense. That might be too it's too much. <laughs> yeah, let's bring it down just a hair, just a hair. Sometimes, sometimes I'm too much. <laughs> Girl, never with the red, with the red hair and the fiery disposition, absolutely fits. <laughs> I really enjoyed hearing Shannon's story and hearing about you know some of the issues and challenges that she's faced and hearing how they relate to me because I found myself in a lot of those situations. And when you were telling those stories, I could really picture myself back there, you know, where I, where I had been. And it does help to know that, you know, you're not the only one. No, absolutely. I think 
what she shared during this interview, during these intimate conversation and this, this, what was the miseducation and what was the solution? You know, we all have our own solutions. We all come up with new things, but we should share our solutions because everybody has their own way of problem solving the things that we didn't expect when we signed up to be speech language pathologists. And it's up to us to make the decision to deal with it in a method that applies more upliftment to the profession and not take away from it. We don't have to give up. We don't have to conform to the system. We do have every right to stand in ourselves and in what we were taught and really command the space that is speech language pathology and own the respect of the room within that role. And I myself am fighting for that for all of us. Yes. And we would love to hear from you if you're listening, if you're out there and we're not talking into the void. Um, if you want to share your story with us, please email us at miseducatedslp at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear what you're going through and, and maybe feature you in an episode. Yeah. Any day, any time. We're here. We're available. And we're looking forward to hearing from all of you. So, And don't forget to own your expertise. <laughs> you had to slip that in there, huh? I, got I had to throw it in there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It was great talking to you, Ingrid. You too, Ayala. Bye, girl. Thank you for sharing, Shannon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.